So I have four nieces and nephews, and I was talking to my sister about IXL. And IXL Learning is this fun online program for kids, and it covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. My sister and my nephew love it. The way it works is it's powered by AI, so IXL gives the right help to each kid. And IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Maybe you've been looking into private tutoring, but it's out of the budget, or this is a big school year for your kiddo. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And all of these listeners can get an exclusive. 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash ologies. So visit IXL.com slash ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Oh, hey, it's... Still, your neighbor who's always out vacuuming his car and you're like, is he really clean or is he so dirty? He needs to be vacuuming it that much. Ellie Ward, back with part two of the Potterology episode of Ologies. Okay, if you have not listened to part one, go do that first. So much context and backstory. There's wizard puns. So go there first. This is like the dessert portion involving your questions. But first, go fill up on the main course. So go on, get. All right. Okay. Thank you so much to all the patrons who support the show and submit questions and the folks who subscribe and rate and who also review because you know that I creepily read them, such as, for example, Funky Fract Friday, who said this week, I'm not a huge podcast person and the podcasts I've listened to tend to come and go, but not ologies. It's kept my attention for over a year. Plus, I now have fun facts to spew at friend and family gatherings. Ali asks the right questions and makes quality dad jokes. In conclusion... I want Allie Ward to be my dad. Good news, Funky Fact Friday, I am your dad. If you've been listening for a while and you wondered, why does this lady call herself my dad? It's dad jokes and just because of darn love, yeah, kiddos. Also, I do wear socks with sandals sometimes. I did just yesterday and I don't care how that makes you feel. Well, I do, but I hope that you secretly are okay with it. All right, so buckle up. Part two of Potterology, in which we ask all of your questions and we talk about poisons and antidotes and anecdotes and noble gases and jerky wizards, dark arts, stun guns, risky business, fireworks, stomach butterflies, and more with University of Nebraska-Lincoln chemistry professor and electrochemist and Potterologist, Dr. Rebecca Lai. some questions from listeners? Yes. Is that okay? <laughs> 113 questions. We're not going to go through all of them. Oh my gosh. Sarah Nichelle wants to know, are you a real wizard? Be honest. 
you brought the Veritas serum? <laughs> that I'm not prepared. Um, um, <laughs> Are you a wizard? You can say no comment. <laughs> I don't know. Rebecca pointed to a nearby tea-stained, sepia-colored letter in a shadow box frame. It looked like something, say, like an owl might drop down your chimney. I, I, okay, I can tell you one thing. I, if you look at that letter right there, I, presumably I received, I received that when I was 11, but then I was not 11 when, when J.K. Rowling had those books out. So I don't think I received it. You're not a muggle. You are Thank not a muggle. You're a wizard. I think my brand of magic, people have asked that before. Uh-huh. My brand of magic is really weird. I don't think there is that kind in Harry Potter. See, I think my <laughs> brand of magic, I look at it because I like learning. I like to absorb other people's um, knowledge. So what they learn. So I guess my, my magic is absorbing other people's magic. People are developing all their great things and you know what I call magic every day. And from whether it is listening to oralologies or mm-hmm. watching YouTubes or just, you know, reading encyclopedia, I still like that. So any of those, you, I'm absorbing other people's magic. Mm-hmm. Magic that has been developed years and years back in the days. And that's how I look at it. My that. magic is to absorb others' magic. Um, Sydney Brown wants to know, what's your favorite spell? Favorite spell? Um, Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum. I think that is probably not just mine. I think it's probably the top one. Well, because it's repels Dementors. Dementors, mm-hmm. based on what J.K. Rowling's, you know, how she came up with that was related to when she herself suffered from depression. It's basically something that it's, you know, making you feel sad and unhappy and just despair. And you have this expecto patronum that will be an animal. Mine's actually, according to Pottermore, uh, a beagle. Oh, it <laughs> Little <is>. dog. <laughs> so that's my, um, that's, that's my uh, patronus. So, um, I think the patronus charm is what I think is a really great spell. Because sometimes we're humans. We do get sad and despair, sometimes sad or sometimes disappointed. Or, you know, having that to protect us is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so quick aside. Is the comfort of a Patronus animal magic? Is it witchcraft? No, fam. It's just a big, frothy stew of biology and chemistry. So according to Psychosocial and Psychophysiological Effects of Human-Animal Interactions... The Possible Role of Oxytocin. This is a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies looking at HAI, human-animal interaction, aka snorkels, aka slugs. So HAI has been investigated for its effects on hormonal indicators of stress. These are things like cortisol and on neurotransmitters like epinephrine. And one Australian study found that dog and cat owners had fewer sleeping problems and went to the doctor less frequently than non-pet owners. And in a Chinese survey, researchers reported that dog owners had higher self-reported fitness and health, they exercised more frequently, they slept better, they saw their doctors less frequently, and took fewer days off from work than comparable non-dog owners. There was another study in the same meta-analysis that involved showing participants a live tarantula spider. Okay saying they'd have to hold it later on. Now, in the interim, they had the subjects either pet a live rabbit, a live turtle, a toy rabbit, a toy turtle, or they just had them chill out without a toy or a live animal. And petting a live animal was the only option that reduced fear and anxiety. And the tarantula is like, hi, hi, I am a live animal. You don't want to pet me? Because look at my hairy butt. Look at it. Isn't it round? Isn't it cute? What's the matter? 
Now, the study also said that just loafing with a critter, especially doggos, can trigger oxytocin release in both humans and dogs, which decreases stress hormones and lowers blood pressure. So thanks, pups. Me rubbing your belly helps you soothe my soul. Also, side note, every once in a while, I will get a really lovely, sweet listener who says that like squid or toads are their spirit animals. And I'm sure y'all are very compassionate and kind. I just wanted to let you know that saying spirit animal is something reserved for native and indigenous populations. So if you would not wear a headdress to Coachella because you know it's really not your place, you might want to nick spirit animal. Just burn that right out of your brain. Alternatives? Why, yes, of course, there are many. I'm glad you asked. You can say alter ego, uh, familiar, or you can say Patronus. So your Patronus might be a toad or a squid. And some gracious furry folks have said that fursona is also fine with them. Okay, so moving into a different shape entirely, some listeners asked about the transfiguration realm. These listeners were Samantha Pinpinto, Claire Meyer, Hannah Riley, Daniela Buchanan, and first-time question asker... Ashra Kolhaktar says, on a scale of one from 100, just how cruel is transfiguration when it comes to animals? Um, what happens when they mess up a switch and now your beetle is half button and half beetle? Any idea? That's a tough one. I think in terms of that, it's because the transfiguration, the fact is that I do believe that um, it's it's cruel in a way, I would say it's like about 70%, uh, you know, like 70. But the fact is mm-hmm. that I do believe it might not be mentioned here. I think they probably could reverse it. I think there's some advanced, maybe not everyone can do that. Just don't count on Neville Longbottom to do that at that time when he was, okay, now he's much improved. But I'm sure maybe Professor McGonagall can do that. <laughs> she, can, yes. she can reverse it. I, I think it could be reversed. Uh, Lauren Wheat and Michelle Grandine both want to know, have you seen improvements in scores since introducing Harry Potter into your teaching and also what is your Hogwarts house? I'm Ravenclaw first okay. of all. Yes, I will answer that easily. I have matches my nails. Rebecca did have a fresh tapered manicure in a lovely periwinkle hue and ever the scientist she said it's tough to isolate the data to track down how much better students did in chemistry after taking her muggle magic course because they're typically enrolled in other chemistry classes from other professors but all in all she hopes it helps students become passionate about chemistry myself i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's gotta help now a few folks posed linguistic queries including jack benjamin harrison wayne brantley rebecca zonbrecher and Okay, so Destiny Rector wants to know, I know a lot of spells and their names are based in Latin. Are there any based in other languages that are maybe a little bit less common? Have you ever found that? Um, no, I have not done too, too much uh, on that. Most of them are Latin-based, but I think there might be others as well. I cannot say. But that's why I'm hoping, imploring that another professor will continue this, a muggle's guide to Harry Potter's linguistic. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> because honestly, right now, I look at it, it doesn't have to be in Nebraska. It would just be, you know, it could be global yes. in these days, right? Because oh people did ask me if I could have this class, you know, broadcast live online. Um, it's It could be done. Of course, there's some, you know, because uh, it's paid and then the credits and stuff yeah. like that. It cannot just be for, you know. Not just for fun. But, but I don't mind if it could be. All right. Yes. Okay. Side note. Any Georgetown folks out there could scan your course catalog for a class called Knights of Old and Harry Potter which explores the medievalism of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter novels by diving into, quote, medieval antecedents from the 12th and 15th century in French, English, and Latin literature. 
as well as selected volumes of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter novels. So spooky muggles, your people, they are out there. They are teaching classes. Alfie, Oyef Casey asks, what Harry Potter subject is the most like chemistry in your opinion, mainly between potions and transfiguration? Potions. Potions. Definitely potions, because potions <laughs> and some of them, I'm. we didn't even get to that. Actually, some of them, I, I basically what I did in the class is that, of course, there's potions and then science. I actually look at a few recipes, such as the draft of peas and also the wit sharpening potion. I actually look at the ingredients, what J.K. Rowling listed, and yeah. I, I, cor- I, I look at the chemistry of them and try to prove that whether J.K. Rowling is right or wrong to put, you know, valerian root in, you know, the draft of peace or putting ginger in the witch sharpening potion. So yeah. I think there's some correlations. I think she she knows her stuff. Yeah. J.K. Rowling. Yeah. So, so potions for sure. P.S. If you've ever taken valerian root to calm anxiety or to help you drift off into a deep, deep sleep with wacky dreams, there is an acid in it that's similar to the neurotransmitter gamma-aminobutyric acid, nicknamed GABA, It's called me GABA for short, which handles calming the nerves. And the jury's still out in the scientific community on its efficacy, but some trials show that it works better than placebo at helping you chill out and calm down. Now, another fun fact, valerian root smells terrible, so bad, so awful. So if you try it, just push through that fermenting dung, rancid sock flavor, and then it's all good if you're not left traumatized. I mean, accursed is the stench, but just dreamy its effect. Trust me. I am in no way a doctor, though, so ask one first. Emily Reed wants to know, what's the most obscure and or seemingly useless spell? Ah, I think a killing spell, sorry, the killing curse. I don't want to say it. Okay. <laughs> the killing curse. Um, because I don't think we need such things. Okay, that's yeah. a good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jam Cruz wants to know, what potions might actually be medically useful for us muggles? Mm. Well, I think the witch sharpening potions containing ginger um, as one of the ingredients is not bad. People have studied a lot of ginger has been used in India and China for many, many years, mostly for indigestion or some digestive system issues. And I correlated to witch sharpening. It's that, well, it may not make you sharper, but yet if you don't have stomachache, you feel a lot better. Okay, right? True. You can think, right? I mean, both You're of us right now having yeah. having digestion's problem. I don't think we'll be sitting so comfortably talking <laughs> to, right now. I really got to go. Right? So we might want to be at other places. Yeah. But So I think it might just have some correlations in that. I think ginger overall, people have studied it for a lot of different, uh, you know, to see if they could find chemicals and components in that that could be able to help with other diseases and other maladies beyond digestive system issues. So yes, ginger. Scientists are looking at it for its pain management and anti-inflammatory properties. And, of course, there's a reason they serve it on airplanes. It's kind of like a magic potion. It makes you less nauseous. How does it do this? Well, I looked into it. It breaks up gas, and it moves things through your system. So thanks, ginger. You're a real fart buster. Also, I think people drink it on airplanes because if you have to walk through first class and see people drinking champagne, when you get to your seat, you want something gold and bubbly, but also free. I have yet to pursue this theory academically, but I have a lot of faith in it. Okay, speaking of a classroom, this next question was seconded by L. McCall. 
a couple people asked Emma Jane Julian wants to know why is it Leviosa and not Leviosa? Um, like, what if someone has an accent? Like, if they're German wizards instead of English wizards? It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Well, I think in that scenario, clearly both Ron and Hermione, to my best knowledge, I think they the British.、Um, yeah. I don't know why Ron said it that way. Ron just have a different way of you know maybe a different part of UK got different accent as well. Absolutely,、right. maybe that right.、Um, that is a very I have never heard of this question. This is lovely and.、Um, <laughs> I would just recommend her to say, try her best to say it the right way. Okay. Spells, you don't want to get it wrong. Don't want to get even it wrong. Even though, for levitating this thing or not is not a big deal, but、mm-hmm. it could be. If it's a wrong curse, you might just get into more trouble than what Ron got. Might just poke a person's eye out or something and beyond. <laughs> so okay. And you have kind of a, a beautiful, almost like a British lilt to your <laughs> voice too. I, I'm originally from Hong Kong, so I learned、oh. British English.、So. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering because it's like you've been in LA, and so yeah, you have. Yeah, I know because it's just、um, yeah. <laughs> oh, you have such a beautiful voice. Seriously, how golden and sparkly and wonderful is her voice? So much. Now, Margaret Hammersley had this next question, which spoiler gets us back to something from episode one that rhymes with "schminvisible spinks." What is the best lab demo to get people interested in chemistry and science because it looks like magic? Yes, a、uh, Parisium right now. Let's see. Do it again. Invisible ink. <laughs> Ellie Ward is awesome. Okay, that remains a factual thing. Okay, <laughs> this is the best day ever. So that is invisible ink. You gotta say yes, absolutely. Basically,、Amazing. this art. <laughs>、um, Crisper wants to know what would be considered the dark arts of chemistry, and Michelle Grandin says second that question. Dark arts and chemistry. Dark arts.、Mm. <laughs> Dark arts. Well, there are some dangerous、uh, chemicals too. I have to say,、uh, but in general, in the chemistry lab, no matter what we work with, we always consider them being dangerous, and、uh, so we will take extra precautions and care. So one thing about me、uh, being a professor,、uh, training my graduate student, or teaching the class later on, or I always remind them safety is the most important because if you're not safe, you're doing dark arts. You know why? Because you could generate an explosion and kill your neighbor right there, <laughs> whether you wanted it or not. That could occur, or that you're gonna break the whole glass case of chemicals that co- would cost five thousand or ten thousand dollars. So that's not good. You know. <laughs> Solid advice: safety first. Unsafe behavior is dark arts. So texting while driving, dark arts. Those weird kids who do parkour on top of skyscrapers, dark arts. Room temperature mayonnaise, dark arts. Safety first. Katie Chavez wants to know what type of elixir will help us live longer and healthier. Well, elixir of life—that you can be Nicholas Flamel to six hundred something if we have the Sorcerer's Stone.、Um, that would be pretty good. But while we don't have that yet, I say drink some green tea. Okay, <laughs> That's so still pretty good. Antioxidant content, some EGCG in there is all good.、Radical. Actually, analyzed it myself. You are a wizard. <laughs> If you're like, hey, pops, what's EGCG? I'm about to spill that piping hot green tea. So it's epigallocatechin gallate, which is a polyphenol compound that some studies show has potential to reduce inflammation and possibly prevent cancer. 
needs a bunch more research. Also, Rebecca at this point whispered something alluding to a process involving tea and gold, but I had to cut it because that chemistry might be proprietary. Don't worry, Rebecca, I didn't fully grasp it and would not begin to know how to steal it. Now, next question was also asked by first-time question asker Don Ewald, Carrie Weber, Sydney Brown, Crystal Mendoza, Annika Merkelbach, and... Jessica Beard wants to know, if you could perform only one spell, what would it be? Mm, one spell. Wow. Uh, sorry, I... That, that's a, it's a hard question. Yeah, if it's just only one spell. It's definitely not the killing curse, you know, no. anything like that. Um, those should not even exist. And um, I suppose um, I still try to go with Expecto Patronum, you know, yeah. I would say, you know, on a very sad day, or maybe if I think that there are dementors around or other people around that I don't want, <laughs> I will try to protect myself. Or if not, uh, Expecto Patronum, I would go with, I suppose, Protego, because Protego, you protect, basically, mm-hmm. you protect from any, who knows what would happen, right? It could be earthquake, it could be, you know, something falling. So yeah. if I could use one thing to protect, to once, I think I would do that, you know, but I don't, hopefully I never need to use that. Hopefully you won't. Exactly. Right. <laughs> this next question was also asked by Araceli Contreras, Sonia Karp, Ace Lane, and chem grad student, Jessica Beard. And... She also asked, Jessica Beard asked, sure. what moment in your research felt most like magic? Ah, oh, actually, most of the first Eureka moments. But that's one thing that's back to uh, what I think about research is that no matter how, you know, you, you, you like your field, you really like what you're doing is that, um, you know, think about that. The moment that you're doing the experiment, adding this and that and see that color change, for example, that I, I do different kind of research. But for example, that is the case, you know, for that one single second in the whole world, you might be the only person who knew about that fact. And I think that's the eureka moment. And you can recreate it again and again as you do experiments and you go in the lab. You like, you, no matter how minute and people think, oh, well, your discovery is not as significant. But, you know, at that moment, is you're the first, the only person at that moment to be able to see that. And that's one thing I really, to know the truth of that reaction or this system or whatnot is amazing. I think that to me... It's not just one, it could be many of that mm-hmm. moment, but you really just that little eureka moment that you're like, wow. And then you think about it, that specific moment in the lab that you found that, that's way before you making these beautiful figures published in a journal and getting news articles written about it, you know, way, way, be, way before that, just at that instantaneous, you're like, wow, I'm the only one who knew about this at that moment. It's kind of really neat. I wish I could go back in the lab to do more work. These days I cannot, because I, I run the lab and I teach and do other things, but those are the moments I think what scientists will always cherish. Now I cherish it vicariously just like last night sending email to Channing's like Channing how did the experiment go did it work <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> Channing is the ologite who told me about Rebecca so Channing thanks for hooking it up I owe you one high five from each hand that's really if you think about it that moment's pretty unique no matter other people think oh it's just my new it's not like you meet you found a cancer um you know um solution right now but at that moment you're the only one at, in that world who knew this fact this truth after all science is about truth finding right yeah so what a, what a special, surreal moment. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, I don't want to exaggerate it or, or people think it's overrated or whatnot. But I think at that moment when you plan so much into that experiment, hoping to see that, because experiments are all not 
just oh let's put some stuff together and I'm sure some reactions gonna occur and whatnot the same goes for spells I'm sure put effort into generating these spells and we we really you know carefully plan it and have lots of hypothesis in your own mind what will happen and then when you see one happen oh wow that is the truth okay mm-hmm. out of the all the other options so that's the answer because a lot of times you go into an experiment you would think it could work this way it could also this 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 and mm-hmm. what will happen it's amazing just just a process of it Side note, I wondered what the etymology of Eureka was, and Eureka, I found it, is from the Greek erikskain, to find. So in case you need a new way to say, I can't heriskain my keys. What is wrong with my brain? Where are they? Why? 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 I'm late. Eureka! They're in the fridge. Sarah Terry wants to know, are the sparks that come out of a wizard's wand noble gases? They wouldn't spark if they were noble, right? Or no? You are right. Exactly. They are not. I mean, I think they're most likely um, maybe hydrogen. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no. Uh, noble noble gases, you know, like argon and neon. No. Um, but uh, or could that be argon, neon? Um, well, you think about neon signs and all the others. Under oh, some right. conditions, it could be, right? You think about krypton, neon, xenon, and xenon lamps and things like that. And there's some conditions it could be so therefore i think she's on to something okay. she should think about it uh, but it could also just be fireworks you know maybe one's box of different colors because fireworks are all depending on what chemicals is in there like if you have lots of sodium you're going to get a yellow firework for sure so mm-hmm. all the fireworks of different colors all depends on different elements yep celebratory sky explosions all about chemistry so the next time you're at a stadium or at someone's very expensive yacht wedding or hoping that your neighbors don't burn your city down on the 4th of July. Just think, hey, that red one is the metal salt strontium carbonate. Oh, oh, look, blue, copper chloride. Oh, yellow. Hey, what's up, sodium nitrate? I see you and I see you. Also, thanks to the sponsors of the show who make it possible for us to donate to a cause each week of the ologist choosing. Dr. Rebecca Lai chose PBS.org, which is funded about 50% by individual contributions like this. And now, a few words about sponsors of the show who make that possible. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be exciting or unexpected. Unexpected is for podcasts about bizarre scientific revelations, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge. 
no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. (laughs) It needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand 7th Generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark, it's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Okay, back to your Patreon questions. This next one comes from Ashra Kohatkar. What allows some spells to continue to have an effect after the spellcaster dies, like Madame Moody's per- protective spells over a grim old place after his death, while others stop working immediately after the spellcaster dies? So why do you think some spells continue to have an effect versus others not? What do you think? Mm, that's a very interesting question, but I think it depends on the strength of that spell, too. I think there are some be- spells that will have that uh, ability and some will not. I think, I know I'm not really giving an answer here or, or maybe not an answer that's uh, what you would like to hear or, or, or not a great answer, but I think that there are categories of spells as well. And there mm-hmm. are definitely some spells that have to have time frame. Some of the spells will not even will will stand on its own as well i don't think it even needs to be honest i do not think that uh spells such as you know stupefied will will last forever okay side note cliff note the stupefy spell from the harry potter books stuns an opponent and rebecca works it into the magic for muggles course by teaching the science of stun guns okay so stun guns require contact with a foe, but taser guns shoot out coily wired darts, kind of like a chameleon tongue. And the electroshock they administer can be up to 50,000 volts, which in a stun gun, that can cause enough pain to just temporarily 
incapacitate someone. A taser, though, that can hijack the electricity system that neurons use to communicate and then make muscles spasm and leave an opponent floored. I mean, not dead, but floored on the floor. You see, even the even the spellcaster is still alive. I don't think you stupefy her. You stun the person. The person will come back to life. You don't need to use renovate to, uh, you know, revive the person. I think the person could come back as a function of time. I, so you see, there are spells that actually got limits of number of hours that the effect could be. So mm-hmm. therefore, there are of course ones that are have much longer lifetime, and there are some that will end with the, you know, with the spellcaster being, you know, gone. So I think even amount the spells itself, depending on what type of spells they're not forever if you think about if it's forever like uh, tergio scourgify to you just use it once and it's already clean and got dirty again do i have to reuse it or i already just did that spell two minutes ago and someone just threw some soil <laughs> on this whatever so it just depends on the specific spell and how this the um how the wizard who developed that spell wanted it to be oh. i think so I th- that makes sense it's mm-hmm. intention Sarah Terry and Kirana Bergstrom both asked about finding antidotes to poisons. And apparently, it's not as easy as just waving a stick at something. Because that's a complex question. It's a very complex question. No, actually, the fact is that with chemistry... In biology, antidote is really about understanding you ingested that chemical, whether it is cyanide or some scopolamine or mandragoramine, which is from mandrake. These are these, you know, alkaloids compounds that are poisonous. You need to know what that, what poison you ingested or you were forced to be ingest. So Mm -hmm. what you, what you, what you took and understanding how that poison will interact with your body. So you find an antidote against that. And there are multiple poisons. Uh, there are multiple poisonous compounds that could have the same effect. So you, maybe one antidote can go against them as long as you need to know uh, the biological pathway of that of what that c- compound, that specific molecule is affecting which part of your body and which, you know, down to very, very specific. And uh, so therefore, sometimes there are uh, classes of antidotes that could go against a few different types of poisons. Ooh. Yep. So some antidotes work as an anticoagulant if the poison or the venom is bunching up blood cells. Now, antivenom can be injected antibodies that have been collected from animals who have been exposed to the venom. And an EpiPen is a shot of epinephrine, which can counteract anaphylactic shock. Also, fun fact, poisons are eaten and venom is injected. I feel like this was in a previous episode, but just in case you forgot. So there are no poisonous spiders unless you eat them. And even then, your stomach will likely break down the poisons. Now, in case anyone ever points to your spider friend and accuses it of being poisonous. Rebecca Hall wants to know, what's the weirdest Harry Potter potions ingredient that you're like, whoa, this could not be a real thing, but it is a real thing. Any crazy potion ingredients? Any like what is this? Well, I need to find a unicorn's horn or something first, right? Because the uni- unicorn's uh, component, uh, there are there are definitely uh, s- uh, potions with uh, unicorn components mm-hmm. in there. And I think I have to, I think that's a little bit hard to find. I want to find one first, really. I, and I want a real one, not those, not the ones that people presume they're unicorns. They're actually narwhals. They're taking that horn from the narwhals. Really? And they, we, one should not be doing that either. It's because of the fact that you, just like people should not be taking ivory from elephants. Mm-hmm. I don't think people should be just taking that from the narwhals either. So if they could find a real unicorn, I would be interested in that. <laughs> Maybe we'll find a fossil one Across day. the rainbow somewhere. 
P.S. Narwhals are called the unicorns of the sea, and their tusks are just one big long tooth that's grown through their lip. And they use it to communicate with each other about the water they've been in, just what's going on in their life, who got divorced. And the name narwhal derives from Old Norse for corpse because of their blotchy gray skin. Looked like a floating dead sailor. So always just embrace those mutations, you magical unicorns. Also, all those in favor of a future narwhal episode say corpse tusk. All right, duly noted will do. There are the other things such as uh, Amortensia. I know people like that one because that's the, um, you know, that's a love potion, but you need to get some um, Ashwinder eggs. I don't think I can find that. So it's a little <laughs> serpent. It's a magical serpent. I don't, I cannot find that. But you see within the love potions, four common ingredients, rose thorns, peppermint and powdered moonstone. I actually have some moonstone in my drawer. I show my students moonstone as well. <laughs> so those are okay. Um, but there are some, yeah, I just, I think they find the unicorn for me. I might just ask them to do something for me. Okay. <laughs> some magic. This next question was asked by Jen Anathas and Yunji Kwan, and it's very romantic. Another listener wanted to know, is there anything close to life? Is there anything in life that's really close to love potion? Other than just ah. like margaritas or something? Well, potions, yes. I think if you look at it, it's um, uh, more talk about in the animal world in that case is because you can think about like pheromones, right? Mm -hmm. Pheromones really attracting, you know, you think about a lot of, um, you know, the queen bee will, you know, secretes, you know, different, you know, different type of compounds. Pheromones are just compounds, right? Molecules. And you can also think about even um, uh, the moths. If you think about silkworm uh, moths, basically, a mix mori, um, they, they are little... They cannot fly anymore. You think about it, they cannot fly. They just move around. How can they find yes. to reproduce, right? Yes. How do, <laughs> via, do Via pheromones, the sense of it. They could just sense that, oh, the right person's right there. Okay. The right moth is over there. Oh, hey. Basically, you can use that. Uh, pheromones are important. I think if one could concentrate that and make some extract, maybe could, could be used. 60% of the time, it works every time. Other than that, I really, um, <laughs> no, actually, there's a joke too. You know, forget, forget Amortensia using love potion. Why don't you just make beautifying potions? Cause they're for the others too. Well, you know, I mean, that's also not a bad thing, I think, you know. Make everyone a little hotter. Exactly. That's <laughs> never go amiss a little bit, you know, a little bit be beautification is a good thing. Okay. So, um, yeah, you have that one as well. That's I know your fashion I'm background coming in too. Just <laughs> get a little bit of style. <laughs> Gotta do that, you know? It's just, it's part of life, so. For more on the science of grooming, you can see the cosmetology episode. And for more on the psychology of beautification, see the two-part collology episode, which debunks the need to pluck every hair from your body and or hate yourself into looking perfect for others. Now, speaking of myth-busting. Any flim-flam that you would want to debunk about chemistry? Any myths about chemistry that you want people to get over? I think to think that um, chemistry 
first you think that chemistry is really hard or maybe I cannot do it. No, I think if you like it enough, a lot to do with the passion. You need to like it. You like it enough, you'll be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing. Another thing is that chemistry is only useful in this and that, but actually everything that you use from food science, I cover so much, it in, involves chemistry. You can do a lot of things with a chemistry degree. There mm -hmm. are a lot of, you know, career options and there, and we talk about perfume, right? People mm -hmm. would not necessarily associate it with chemistry, but actually Dr. Chong and myself, my, my friend, last semester, we actually taught a um, skincare chemistry class. It's also a, yeah, it's also a one credit honors course. We talked about, you know, antioxidants, talk about sunscreen. We talk about a lot of things. They do, a lot of chemists are involved in formulation and making sure the product is good and feels smooth. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's about the efficacy, the fact that it should work and work well, but it's also about it should feel nice on your skin. So that's actually a lot of science involved in just making one cosmetic product. So I think there, one could think about chemistry in many different ways. And I'm not just, I'm just using this example, perfumes and cosmetic chemistry. If you're interested in food science, food chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. We all like most people, okay? <laughs> I like food and I talk about it a lot because I do. So I'm just speaking from my own perspective that uh, there's just lots to study, right? If you are botanist, you want to, you, you like to be like Neville Longbottom to be, you know, um, herbologist, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you study it. We just talk about yew trees, talk about taxol. We talk about holly trees. We talk about people could do that type to study. You want, if you're a naturalist, you like to find out about nature, understand nature. You can study trees and look at what kind of compounds and chemicals you can get from trees and that will these uh, compounds be able to help human, to improve human life. I think at the end, doing chemistry, doing science, I think in my humble opinion is to really improve human life. And I think there are many ways of doing it, you know, Making perfume makes people smell nicer is good, you know, beautification mm -hmm. is good. But, you know, um, of course, it's also very important, very good to do biomedical research and understanding the effects of these compounds on cancer cells and different type of cancer cells. These are just few examples of what one could do if one has uh, an undergraduate degree in chemistry. Of course, if you want to go into specialization, to go into graduate school, you can choose different topics. As long as, again, it's about passion, right? If you look at, ultimately, why J.K. Rowling can create a world like that is because she's passionate about it. Without passion, she cannot. I mean, I'm sorry, very few people would be able to do that, to have to sustain a career at that level, you know. Mm -hmm. To um, So therefore, you have to like it. You have to wake up and want to do it, I think. Mm -hmm. ah, ah, how inspiring is that? Having stomach flutters for your job. P.S. Even that is chemical. I just Googled it and apparently having peptic lepidoptera butterflies in the stomach, is because when we're excited, we think we're going to have to fight someone. So our blood gets rerouted to our muscles, even if we're just happy. And the butterflies are because of a lack of blood flow to your food sack. So mention that on your next first date if you need an icebreaker and instantly weed out decent people who are not into those disgusting fun facts. And the last questions I always right. ask everyone, what is the suckiest thing about your job? What is the hardest thing about your job or about chemistry? What is something that you're like, <laughs> even though I love you chemistry, this is this gets your goat? I wouldn't say in terms of chemistry, I would say um, uh, the toughest job about being a professor in a R1 school or like a PhD level school, it's, it's the, ultimately is the amount of work. You yeah. have to work a lot. The fact is, it's really tough to be good at everything. The trilogy of academia is research, 
then teaching, then education and outreach. And each of them will require a lot of time if you want to do good at it, right? If you want to do a great job, right? Research involves doing, I do biosensor research and I have graduate students, I have to train, I have to obtain funding, you have to do a lot, the writing and all the others. It's a lot of work. And then teaching, you know, it's also very important because I look at it, teaching and mentoring are ultimately what I really like about this job the most. I know you asked me what I dislike, but I would like to, you know, buy one, get one free, I'll give you what I like the most. Is <laughs> That's the next question. Exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry, preview. <laughs> I should stop. Okay, say what I, I thought you would ask me what I like first, usually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you want the bad news first or the good news? No, I always end on it. I always make you say the, uh, the worst thing and then I end on a high note. Okay, so um, the hard part is really about, you know, the amount of time that in order to be very good at research, very good at teaching and very good at, you know, education outreach, you have to put a lot of time in there. And I'm do I'm trying my best, you know, I do research and, and I teach and I also um, currently am the Nebraska Mersac Education Outreach Director and Jocelyn's the Assistant Director. That's that's why we are partners in crime. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Jocelyn. And so um, to do that, I really enjoyed it. But of course, you know, every part of the work in order to do do a great job, um, you, it's a lot of time involved and you have to prioritize things. So um, I think the tough part is it's, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of hours. A lot of hours. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think hard work. I think that's I would say most people um, in academia would agree. It's mm -hmm. a lot of it's hard work. But and if you like it, that gets to your next part, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you love the <laughs> most about what you do? And I can't even, I don't even know how you're going to answer this because what you do is so awesome. <laughs> so cool. How I like too, too many things. I think I'm <laughs> probably people like to say, would, would think that about me. I like, uh, but ultimately, yes, I do like a lot of things. But uh, ultimately, I think I like the most is really about teaching and mentoring students. Those two are actually together in some sense, right? You know, you think about my research group with my graduate students, my undergraduate graduate students or visiting professors in my research group doing research and how I, you know, teach them, mentor them, provide them with opportunities to do different things so as for them to advance in their career in the future. So I really enjoy that that part of it. But also my classes, like, mm -hmm. right, you know, class I'm going half an hour. Yeah. And because you can also, it's also very satisfying to see that before the students starting your class versus after, you know, how much they learn, just seeing them learning. I think that is a very rewarding part. Part. And you can see that from even though within one semester of teaching them, or like with Channing's already close to five years I've been with her, right? Channing, the student yeah, yeah. we just talked about. And so, so you can see that it's actually both are equally important and very, to me, it's very satisfying. And also even for the students, you know, that I teach in the class only, you know, maybe with them for one semester, whether it's the class I'm currently teaching or the Harry Potter class, you know, um, if later on I could see their future and some of them I still keep in contact and then I, I could see them doing great things in life it's amazing you know it's just you know I'm not trying to say that I I, I had you know that much impact on, on them maybe even if it's just a small little part it's still I, I think it's still a very good thing mm -hmm. so and that's what I continued I would like to continue to do that to be a good teacher to be a good mentor I think and I think it's an important thing because I think being a good teacher, a good mentor and be able to communicate well. And I think um, it's not only for this profession. Right. It is probably very important for nearly most 
many different professions. Right. Whether you're an author or no, a absolutely, or a chemist, absolutely. or a teacher. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Even if I'm not a professor, I work in the industry or another place, you still have to teach people, right? You still want to mentor people because at some point you go higher, you're going to have newer, newer people that's hired into your company. You know, how do you guide them? How do you help them so that, so that they will continue to do great things, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's a, it's a skill set that it would be nice if we all have that. So. Right, right. <laughs> okay, I had to ask one more question. And if you could tell J.K. Rowling anything, what would you tell her? If you could send her a message. Oh. <laughs> this I thought about, but... Um, um, Ah, oh, there's so many things. <laughs> uh, I suppose I'll just say that J.K. Rowling, you're awesome in this. Okay? Yeah. All right. <laughs> in Invisible Ink. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I think that I will physically show her that she will have her own J.K. Rowling's diary, not just Tom Riddle's diary. I it will not be it. stabbed by, a, you know, by the basilisk tooth. It will be fine. <laughs> it's not a horcrux. With a basilisk fang. Um, so <laughs> um, I would say thank you. Actually, mm-hmm. I really would say I think thank you because um, because uh because of what she has done, basically so inspiring for me to be able to develop this class. And usually when I give uh, my talk, I always end with thanking her to give me all these inspiration. So mm-hmm. to me, I think two words, just thank you. I think it's great. I mean, of course, I would like to meet her and hope that there are other things. But if it's just a very short meeting, I would just like to thank her for what she, what she, you know, what she has done and continue to do, inspiring me and so many other people. For her to have done, you know, I'm sure she's also gone through hardship and all the others, but to be able to persevere, I think that's very, that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us could always learn from that. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I think you just made a bunch of people who didn't realize they were chemists and a chemist. You may have just birthed some new chemistry aficionados. Why not? Exactly. You can do all sorts, lots of things with it. And just being an experimentalist, going into a lab, thinking about, ooh, this is what I think it would happen. Let's see. Hmm, if I do this together, will I, will I be able really to get this reaction? It's an amazing feeling when you get it, when you get it right and it worked the way that you, um, you expected. It's very good. But remember, you learn a lot when it's, when you did not get it right either. I told my students, there are just no bad results. If your experiments were not well planned, then that's bad. You go in the lab without knowing what you're supposed to do. But if you have planned it and the results were not as what you what you expected, then you want to learn from it to see, well, what could what could this be? Did I do something wrong? Or is that really how this reaction go? If it is really how this reaction go, well, I may never get to the next step. So how am I going to circumvent that? What am I going to do to solve this problem? People say that, okay, chemists, they make solutions, literally, a solutions like that <laughs> Coffee is a, is a solution. No, we make solutions. We find solutions. <laughs> Solu- that solutions that may not be able to be, you know, placed inside a cup. So mm-hmm. I really do see that. I think that if people have that type of mindset, you know, curiosity is always driven by curiosity. Curiosity, creativity, hard work, perseverance. If you have all those, I'll throw in a good number five time management because mm-hmm. we all have finite amount, 24. If you have a time turner, you might have 25. <laughs> but other than that, you get that amount of time. How are you going to utilize it? I think, I think with these combination, I would, I think lots of people will become fantastic scientists, not just chemists, just wide range. Mm-hmm. I mean, chemistry, chemistry is great, but, but if they're interested in pursuing other fields of science, I think it's also amazing, right? With the ultimate goal of trying to improve human life and improve this world. So 
curiosity, creativity, hard work, perseverance, and if you can, throw in number five, time management. So keep asking smart people goofy, stupid, and poignant questions because that is how they learned everything they know. And we're all going to die anyway. You might as well ask questions. Now, for more on the University of Nebraska Lincoln's chem department, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at UNL Chemistry. Ologies is also on both of those platforms at Ologies. I'm on there too at Allie Ward with one L. Ologies merch is at ologiesmerch.com. We now have stickers. We have shirts that say hey on the front and bye on the back. There are hats, totes, back to school merch. It's all on there. Thank you, Shannon Feldes and Bonnie Dutch. They host the comedy podcast, You Are That, which is amazing. They help manage all my merch too. Thank you to Hannah Lippo and Aaron Talbert for adminning the Ologies podcast Facebook group full of nice people. Thank you to assistant editor and domestic cheerleader, Jarrett Sleeper, who hosts the mental health podcast, My Good Bad Brain for assistant editing. And everyone's mustachioed Patronus, Stephen Ray Morris, host of the podcast See Jurassic Right about dinos and the Purrcast about cats for helping stitch this all together each week. And if you like dinos and Stephen Ray Morris, side note, he will be live this weekend, September 21st and September 22nd at the LA Natural History Museum's Dino Fest. So you can go see him there live. Give him a T-Rex high five. Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme song. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, you know, I tell you a secret. And... This week's is that I recently bought a bunch of washcloths and started using a fresh one in the shower each day, and I get it. I get it. What a luxury. What an exfoliant. It feels like a spa day every day. What a gross thought. All of the dead powdery skin I've been carting around for just years. Wow. So washcloths. Where have you been all my life? Thank you for coming into my linen closet and my shower with me. You are appreciated. Okay, we will be back next week with phenology, which is a study of the seasonal change. We're going to talk a lot about fall leaves. Ooh, birds migrating. That is a precious episode, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. And then the week after that starts Spooktober. I'll be in Austin this week doing a few interviews there that will be airing in Spooktober. I can't, I'm, it's, I can't, ah, ah. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, Professor Dumbledore, we need your help. Magical emergency. Oh boy, let's go. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.